Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. I want to encourage you, take your Bibles and open to 2 Corinthians 12, okay? 2 Corinthians 12, and if you don't have a copy of God's Word with you, uh, there should be one in the pew in front of you, and if you're using one of those, it's page uh, 1,152, okay? 1,152. And I want you to open here because at the end of the, at the, end of the day, um, we can have a conversation around a lot of things, but what matters is God's word. And so uh, we're going we're gonna to consistently, you're going to hear us come back to that, uh, come back to scripture. As we have a conversation around uh, mental health in the church, and this is a needed conversation that we, ha- we need to have, um, but I want to start us with just reading uh, this passage of scripture, and uh, then we're going to open in prayer. And then you're going to hear uh, uh, large pieces of Paul's testimony this morning. And we're going to talk about, uh, biblically, what is our call? What is our call as the church? What should this look like? And biblically, what, what are we called to? But also, how do we walk through that, um, whether you are a person who struggles with mental health, mental illness, or you are a relative or a friend of someone who does? Um, the reason we see such a value and importance in this is because we believe um, every one of you in some way or another is connected to this uh, by relationship, by personal, whatever it is. And therefore, we have a responsibility to know biblically how do we, how do we step into these things? How do we do that well? Okay? So I want us to read this together. Okay? Um, so I want you to lift your voice up and we're going to read this passage together. Here we go. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 2 Corinthians 12.9. Just like we did in our Tolerable Sins series, I encourage you to actually seek to commit this to memory. Okay, if there's a passage I want you to really try to internalize during this time, it's this one. As we think about this, and we're going to unpack this a little bit more a little later on, um, but as you look at this text and as you think about this, uh, I really want you to stop for a moment and think about uh, how you relate personal weakness to personal faith. How do you relate personal weakness to personal faith? Um, do the two go together? Or do they coincide? Or in your personal perspective, do they actually contrast each other? I, just, I want you to wrestle with that a little bit and honestly answer that question. How does my uh, personal weakness intersect with personal faith? What, what, how do those two come together? Um, 
Now, a, a little disclaimer about this for those of you here and those of you online. We just felt it was appropriate because we are going to be talking about mental health struggles. And in doing so, we recognize that that may be something that if you struggle with mental health or mental illness, it may trigger you in some way, okay? Um, we say that disclaimer because we just want to be transparent about that. We want to have real conversations and not gloss over things, um, but we want you to know that we don't want to just have conversations and let you go. We want to walk with you. The heart of our leaders and the heart of Paul and I is that we could walk with you. So if that's you, whether you're online, whether you're here, uh, we want to walk this journey alongside of you. So let us, let us know how we can do that. Um, we, we want to be transparent about that. Um, I'm joined today by a friend and dear brother in Christ. Um, we've been, we actually planned on doing that, having this conversation back in 2020. And then COVID happened. And we were, we had actually planned to do it. I think the Sunday that we ended up saying we actually need to step back and reevaluate things. And so we were having a conversation this morning and going, we really believe this is God's timing. In, in two years later, now we're having this conversation. Um, why that is, God knows. Okay, um, but we're thankful the Lord's allowed us to have that. And uh, I, Paul, I'm going to let you introduce yourself, and I want you to just share a little bit about your kind of personal testimony on a spiritual level. Mm-hmm. So life before Christ, uh, how you came to know Christ, just from a spiritual perspective, share people who you are, and from that angle. Um, for those that, I got to put it up here, don't I? For those that don't know me, my name is Paul Gomer. I'm married to my wife Janine for 33 years. <laughs> almost 34, almost 34 years. We live here in Canton, but I was born and raised in Hannah City. Um, I have two sisters that are that are both older than I am, but I was not raised in a Christian household. Um, we were that stereotypical family that said, "Okay, we're going to go to church on Christmas and Easter," and that's pretty much how we're going to grace the the uh, shadow of the church's door. So that's what we did. I did spend a lot of time with my maternal grandparents. Um, My maternal grandfather's brother was a pastor. And for those of you that are of age of me will probably remember this, but there was a church at the bottom of Edwards, I call it Edwards Hill. There's a small church that sits there. I think it's a daycare now. Um, But he was the pastor at that church for 40 years. Um, (laughs) He was one of those guys, I I have to tell the side story real quick. Sorry, Matt. Um, to tell the side story real quick, but he was a very slight man. I mean, very slight man, not very tall at all, probably 5'4 or so. He wore his suits way too big. Um, and they were brown. Every single one of them were brown. He would change his tie every now and then, but those suits were brown. He had the most beautiful baritone voice you would ever hear in your life. And he could sing the Lord's Prayer and bring tears to your eyes. Um, and so we were able to go as when I stayed with my grandparents, we would go watch him. Um, but I never really did connect with the church at all in any way, shape, or form back then. So as I got into high school, I started to realize, I, I talk about this a little bit when I go out to speak, that I, I was just kind of medium. There, I, I would, really didn't excel at anything, and I really wasn't bad at anything. I just was kind of there in the middle. I was pretty good at sports. I was pretty good at school. I was pre- but there was nothing that I excelled at. I was not on the honor roll, <laughs> anywhere close to the honor roll. Um, I wasn't an all-stater in sports. I wasn't anything like that. So I was just kind of in that medium side. And around sophomore year in high school, I needed to find my identity. And so I needed to think, do I need to get closer to the jocks? 
Do I need to get closer to the smart people and start applying myself more? Do I need to get closer to this group or that group? Well, unfortunately, I got closer to the folks that did a lot of drugs and drank a lot. So at 15 years old, um, at, the, at the basement of my high school, in between classes at times, I would go down and take a shot of whiskey and usually smoke a marijuana joint or smoke what they call a one-hitter, which is just a one-hit of marijuana. And I found myself doing that more and more the older that I got. So 15 to 19 um, was a very difficult time in my life. I, I, even though I didn't go to church at that time, I, I wanted nothing to do with the Bible. My good friend Sean is here. Um, I wanted him here because Sean, I grew up with him. We've been best friends all our life. And he went to church, and he was born and raised in the church. And he would say these things to me as we were out fishing about going to church. And that is the last thing that I wanted to hear. So I went through a very... Um, I went through a very difficult time. Sorry. I'm a little emotional too, by the way. So we went through a very difficult time, and it wasn't until that lady right there pulled me out of the darkness. And even when we first got together, we, we never went to church then, I mean, right when we first got together, we still kind of did our own thing and partied and did all those types of things. But um, Marcy Anderson, who was a realtor here in town, sold us our house here in Canton in 2000. And we, she invited us to come to this church. And oof, the first thing I thought of, I walked through the door and the church is going to come down around me. Um, there is no way, no way that God's going to accept me coming into a church after everything that I'd done, the sins that I had committed. Um, but we came, and it was at the old sanctuary, and Pastor Mike Barr was the pastor. It's still standing. Yeah, it's still there. <laughs> it didn't come down. <laughs> I kept waiting for it, Jim, trust me. Um, so we, we went to the old sanctuary, and we went, and I, my intent was to be there one time just to appease Marcy and be done with it, be there one time. And I found ourselves coming back and coming back and coming back. November of 2000, I accepted Christ. Um, pastor Mike Barr was there, and he had another pastor by the name of uh, Paul Williamson. And he was an older pastor, and I think he was retired at the time, but, but he was a mentor of Mike's, and something about the two of them talking together. I, I dropped on my knees that day and said, I want to be a follower of Christ. And here we are. Amen. Here we are. All right? Amen. Yeah. Now, a couple of things I just want to pull out of that and understand. We often... We often only recognize or kind of stop and see when someone comes to church or makes that decision for Christ. But I want you to think about all the people before that point who spent time with Paul and were encouraging, even just by, hey, let's go fishing together. And uh, I'm going to trap you in a boat and then I'm going <laughs> to, right? It's great. It's, fan it's a fantastic way. And, and so I want you to see that just from a perspective of going, um, it's not just about inviting people to church, right? Um, that's, that's great, and that's important, and a huge 
piece of the story, but I also want us to see the significance of everyday opportunities and taking the advantage to share Jesus, even when someone is reluctant maybe to receive that. So I love the testimony of that, and it would be foolish for us to move forward without stopping for a minute and recognizing the impact of that. Um, You never know what piece of someone's story that you may be in. Um, You may be in part one or you may be in part 20. Regardless of it, God will use you for his glory. So don't shy away from that, okay? Now, the, the reality is, and Paul and I have talked about this before, oftentimes this is where people's testimonies and their stories end. And it's like, here's my life before Christ. I came to faith in Jesus. Woo, we celebrate as the church. And then silence. Now, the church in some means is very responsible for that because we consider someone saved. And what else can be better than that? But that's far from the end of your story. And so I want you to share with us a little more about your personal journey and some of the challenges that you faced along the way. Kind of picking up at post, I come to faith in Christ, now what? So Janine and I attended a new Christians class um, here at the church, and I think it was six or eight weeks long. And I'll tell you, I was on fire for God. Oh my goodness, I was going to set the world on fire. I, I was just burning inside for God. I wanted to share the story. I wanted to be able and ask people, do you know Christ as your Savior? I, I was so fired up for this. The one mistake that I made is in my mind at that time, I thought everything was going to be roses and rainbows moving forward. Now that I've accepted Christ, I will never have a worry in the world moving forward because Christ is by my side. Well, that's true. Christ is by your side whether you're going through peaks or valleys. That is very true. But it, didn't, it wasn't too long after that where I started to notice a change in me where my fire wasn't quite there anymore and I started to have thoughts, um, thoughts of self-harm, thoughts of uh, just anger, outbursts of anger, outbursts of anxiety. Um, the littlest things would set me off. Um, in a, I would get into a crowd of people and I just couldn't breathe. And I didn't know what was going on. And I prayed, I continued to pray, um, but it just kept happening and it kept getting worse until one point, Janine was gone. And I looked at a tree in the backyard and I thought, I wonder if it would hold my weight. I wonder if I threw a rope up there, if it would hold my weight because I couldn't do it anymore. I was praying and God wasn't listening, so I thought. And I just couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't live this life anymore. I couldn't go through the, every single day of the demons invading my head. I just couldn't do it anymore. Well, I'm still here. So, Amen. Um, I truly, as I look back now, when I went to Janine and said I needed help, that was, that was God intervening for me that day. He came into my life and kept me safe. And I went to get the help that I desperately needed. And so I was diagnosed bipolar 2 disorder, which is, um, you've heard, probably heard of manic depressive disorders. Um, that is more of the depressive side. So mania is when you just go, 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 go. And you can't, your mind can't stop, and it's racing, and you're, 
what you're trying to say comes out weird because your mind is thinking one thing and your mouth is saying something else. Depressive is the world kind of falls in around you. And it, there's no real triggers when it comes to this when living with bipolar disorder. It can just be the day. But I can tell you, um, I never blamed God. There were many times during these cycles, these cycles of depression, and I would come out of those cycles, and I, I never said, God, why me? Why me? I never did that. What I did say was, whoa, what was that about? Because, you know, normal people, when you go through your daily life, and I have normal people, when you go through your daily life, most people live on an even plane of 50% emotion and 50% logic, right? But I want you to think about if you are driving down the road and someone pulls out in front of you and you have to slam your brakes on, what happens? The logic goes out the window and the emotions get escalated. You probably say things that you shouldn't be saying as you're honking your horn at this person. So now you're at 90% emotion and 10% logic. But after your adrenaline slows down and you stop to think, you hopefully come back to that level playing field to go, okay, I probably shouldn't have said that, or I probably shouldn't have honked my horn, or whatever. The guy didn't see me. I don't know what the situation But you become more logical about it. People that live with a mental illness, a lot of times that emotion level stays peaked. It stays at that 75 to 90% all the time. I, I didn't prepare for this at all today. I read an outline that Pastor Matt gave me because I knew if I just kept studying it and studying it and studying it, I would just freak myself out more and more and more and I would become anxious. I didn't want to do that. But that's what happens when you live with a mental illness. You, your emotions start, and the demons in your head, they start convincing you that you're not good enough, that you're not worthy, that this has to be done right this second, right now. It can't delay for another five minutes. You have to do it right now. You have to stop what you're doing and do it right now. And that's the struggle that we have, is that people that live with mental illness and mental health issues, something has to happen right this second, right? Whether it be you go out and you look at that tree and decide, I'm going to do it right this second, or whether you are sitting and watching television and all of a sudden you got to do laundry right now, right this second, nothing else matters. So those are the struggles that I have come through. Um, all the time as I go through these struggles, I have learned to lean more and more on God. And I've learned to understand that God has never left me. Even through the darkest of valleys, God has never left me through this. And, and we can talk more about that in a little bit. Yeah. So this, this subject matter of mental illness really has been historically, whether we want to admit it or not, has been a bit of a taboo subject in ministry circles. We, we tend to avoid some of these difficult conversations um, Largely in part to when we don't know what we're supposed to do with something, we tend to avoid it. That's just naturally tends to be our human response. When, when I don't know what to do with something, I just kind of avoid talking about it or I avoid confronting it. And so it's not that maybe mental illness has been seen through a bad lens in the church, but um, I, I think often avoided uh, by us when it comes to that. Um, and yet, if we go back to Genesis and we think about that God created man in his image, and we believe that the psalmist wrote that you're fearfully and wonderfully made, then we have to step into these conversations with a sense of, 
asking who is God in the midst of this and how should we respond? How should we react? How do I come back to a place centered on the truth about who God is when that's not at all where my mind is going? Um, now, when it comes to kind of these subjects ending up a bit not talked about, I'm I just curious what some of your thoughts are for the reasons that that has been the case and what what kind of motivated you to share this part of your life now? Because many, many people, and there's, there's, I guarantee there's people listening to this right now who are struggling and are fearful to talk about it. I mean, it's not often that people just say, this is me, this is my struggles. Um, I would say generally we are really bad about that. You walk through the halls of the church and someone asks you how you're doing, what's your response? I'm good, I'm fine, I'm great, right? That, that's, that tends to be our response. And internally, I, I tend to believe a lot of people are really struggling. And yet, going back to even the earlier parts of your story, many of us have bought into a lie that says, if I'm in Christ, I shouldn't struggle. And that is not true. And in fact, that's what, even going back to 2 Corinthians 12 for a moment and understanding God's power is made perfect in my what? Weakness, okay? I want to keep coming back to that because there's great significance there, church family. And so talk a little bit about what, what you see from your perspective, the re, some of the reasons that we tend to avoid these conversations and how the Lord has brought you to this place of now sharing this, this portion of your life. Yeah, I think um, it's difficult to understand mental illness. It's difficult to understand mental health. And, and I want to kind of break these out a little bit just so you understand. Both are equally important and both equally need to, to be addressed. But I think if you look at it from mental health side, mental health, is tip, uh, mental health issue is typically situational. So you could have lost your job. You could be going through a divorce. You could, whatever the case is. And a lot of times, being able to just talk to somebody about that can help you through that struggle that you're having at that time. Mental illness is chemical. It's a chemical imbalance in someone's brain. And trust me, I would be the first one to tell you if I had the golden ticket on how to fix that, um, I'd be a millionaire. But there's just not there because, and I don't want to scare anyone at all, but I could be setting up here right now and have a panic attack put the microphone down, and just leave. It, it just happens, and they come out of nowhere again with no triggers. So I think it's important that we know the two aspects of what that is. And let's be honest. When you don't know how a person reacts, or let's say maybe you've been with that person one time, and you see them have an explosive bout of anger, and are you scared now? You're scared that it's going to happen again? I think that's why we don't talk about it too much. The other reason is, and I read a, a statistic one time, that when pastors open this Pandora's box to their congregation, they don't feel like they're equipped 100% to handle situations like this if someone comes to them with those types of struggles. So we're going to talk a little bit later about the, our mental health ministry that we'll be launching soon to try to combat that. Um, and so, I mean, that seems to be the biggest thing. Um, that I see as just maybe the fear or not having the knowledge to be able to talk to someone. 
As far as why now with me, I don't know. I really don't know. Um, when I was first diagnosed, I didn't want to talk to anybody about it. I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. I thought people would think less of me. Um, I didn't know how to explain it myself, so how could I explain it to someone else? And then all of a sudden, I decided at one point in 2019, 2018, early, or late 18, that I was going to write a journal to my wife and kids about the struggles that I go through on a daily basis. Um, because I, I think it's hard for people to understand in some cases, in my case in particular, when I wake up in the morning, the first thing that's happening is I'm getting invaded. My head is getting invaded. And I have to stop those noises. And the reason for me, or the, how I stop those noises is I'm, I'm in the Word. Whether I grab my Bible or whether I get online and get in, uh, read devotions or something, I have to get God back-centered in my life. Mm -hmm. Because at that time, my emotions have taken over and my logic is gone. So being able to read um, and stay in God's Word is what keeps me focused. Does it do it all the time? Absolutely not. There are times where the cycles are so hard, I, I, the last thing I think about is, is God in my life. But for the most part, this can ground me. This right here in front of me can ground me and can get me back to work with my eyes straight up where I should be looking, and that is to God. Hmm. And so to go back a long uh, answer to your question, I don't, I don't really know because that journal turned into a book. It was the weirdest thing. I looked down one day and I, I literally, instead of just writing and just writing and writing, I started to see one page, two page, three page, four page, stop. I made my point on those four pages. And then I would go one page, two, three, and stop. So it turned into a book format. And I started putting things on paper that I never thought I would ever tell anyone. I, 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 I'm never that vulnerable. I try to be the strong person in the family. I try to, to keep that stiff upper lip, as they used to say. I don't want that vulnerability out there for the world to see. But God kept saying, yes, you do. To glorify me, you need to talk about this. This is not talked about enough, and I'm going to use you as a vessel to start getting this message out. And so I stayed faithful, and this is where I am today. Yeah. A completed book, um, people talking all the time more about it. People in this congregation that have reached out to me privately um, through email that said, I've been struggling this as, with this as well. Where do I start? How do I start the conversation? So why, that's why I think these discussions that we have are so important to let people know they're not alone in these thoughts. There are people within the congregation that may be either struggling personally or deal with a family member or friend that struggles. The statistic is one in three people either struggle with a mental illness or know someone that does. One in three. Look around. Look around at the people within the congregation. That's a lot of people in this congregation that know somebody or are personally struggling with mental health issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one thing I want to go back to briefly because as you're sharing this, I'm thinking about um, many people who we may intersect with who would say, I'm struggling. I try to go to my Bible. I try to go to prayer. And I'm just burnt out because I'm still just in this state of struggle and challenge. And it never seems to let up. It never seems to relent. If you have someone in that type of situation or scenario, what would you say to them? How do, how do you process through that? What does that look like? How do you navigate? And how do you, as someone who is outside that, say someone shares that struggle, um, 
How do we respond to that from a biblical worldview where we're saying we believe that God is over all and in all and that he is moving and working, he is faithful, he is good, he is righteous, he is just, and sometimes we can just ignorantly say, well, you just got to try harder, right? You just got to pray more. You, you just got to try harder because we don't know what else to say. So if we're coming from that perspective, how do we encourage and walk with people in, in that kind of journey? Yeah, I just think you have to, um, first of all, start the conversation. You know, ha- have the conversation. That's the first step. I mean, there, there's no more uh, magic pill. It is start the conversation, be able to talk about it. The second is you have to remind people, especially in the Christian community, God is always faithful. It may not feel like it right now. You may not sense it right now, but God hasn't left you. He hasn't. And I go back to the story that I said earlier. I looked at a tree to see if I could take my own life, but I'm here today. That's not by my doing. I was stopped that day for a reason. I really truly believe it was God that intervened on, that, on my behalf that day because of this moment right here, that we're sitting here having this conversation. I believe that to be true. When you speak to someone, the last thing I want to hear is you need to pray more. Trust me, dude, I pray a lot. You need to pray more. You need to be more faithful. Go to church more. Go to small group. Go to Sunday school. Just embrace yourself with the... Yes, 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 and yes. I know that. But when you're not in that logical mind, when your emotions have taken over, I don't need you to tell me to pray more. I know what I need to do. What I need you to do is walk alongside me and remind me that God is ever faithful. Amen. God is ever faithful. He is not going to leave me. Because when I'm not rational, I'm not thinking about that. But I need you, Pastor Matt, I need you, Janine, to remind me that he's not leaving me. No matter what my thoughts are, no matter how much I maybe have abandoned him at this point, he's not going to leave me. Amen. That's where the story starts. Amen. Excellent. So as we think about these things, I want to direct you to 2 Corinthians 12, okay? 2 Corinthians 12, and Paul is, it's ironic, we're Paul's letter, different Paul, okay? Paul did not write 2 Corinthians. I'm old, but not that old. (laughs) The Apostle Paul is writing 2 Corinthians to the church. Everyone say the church. The church. Okay, so this is a letter to those who say we believe in the name of Jesus to be saved. And in 2 Corinthians 12, there's, there's probably a handful of people that have heard a portion of this text talked about when you think about the thorn in Paul's side. Um, but here's a little context behind that that you may not be aware of. When Paul's writing this, the reason he's writing this is because culturally people are weighing how uh, excellent of an apostle they would be based on the caliber of the visions that they're having. So if you can picture maybe a group of guys who uh, uh, gather in a room and they're like, well, let me tell you about the vision I had. And someone else, I've got you beat on this. And then other people are measuring the, uh, the, the, the value or the authority of their apostleship based in the, their boasting in visions. 
And then in response to that, this is what Paul says. He says, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body. I do not know. God knows. Verse 3, and I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body. I do not know. God knows. He heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weakness. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he, see, than he sees in me or hears from me. Now, just to summarize, some of that can get jumbled and confused, but really, logically speaking, Paul is speaking about himself in a different person here. And that's why the language shifts from, I know a man, to uh, myself, okay? And so then the, the shift happens here, and verse 7, it says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Now, don't even begin to dive into the what could the thorn be. It doesn't... You, you can speculate this all day long. It doesn't matter, okay? Scripture doesn't reveal it to us, so in the end of the day, whether it was physical or emotional, whatever, beside the point. The reason Paul is sharing this in 2 Corinthians is a vulnerability that elevates the authority and the power of God above himself. It comes back to an authority issue. Where we ask the question, do I validate authority based in my own boastings or based in who God is? Right back to what you said. To be reminded of who God is. And verse 8 says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Everyone say weakness. weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness. Why? So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardship, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, there's three things in this text that I just want you to grab hold of as we're having this conversation, talking about this. And the first one is this. God's power is not dependent on our power. God's power is not dependent on our power. What do I mean by that? It doesn't matter how powerful or good you feel. How you feel does not impact who God is. It does not change who he is. God is faithful, period. Not God is faithful when we happen to do what we should do. Not God is faithful when we are at our best. And this is a fantastic revelation in God's word because it means no matter what stage of life you are in, 
God is constant. He is faithful and he is good. Does that mean you see, see it that way in the season you're in? No, maybe not. But how you feel does not change who God is. And that's a great reason to celebrate, church, because it means even when I walk through the valley of deep darkness, Psalm 23, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. His power is made perfect in weakness. We don't often think about that. Now, the second thing in this, to understand Paul's argument here is really, I'm going to boast in my weaknesses. How many of you are really good at boasting about your weaknesses? I am not, okay? We don't because we feel we need to prove ourselves. In fact, I'm convinced we really probably feel like we need to prove ourselves to God. That's why we tend to fall into patterns of works-based salvation, Because the whole idea of Ephesians 2, that I'm saved by grace through faith, and this is not of works, so that no one can what? Boast. Oh, here we go again, right? (laughs) I am going to boast in my weaknesses. Why? Because boasting in my inability gives way to boasting in God's ability. I will boast in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So many have convinced themselves that God only wants the strong and able-bodied individuals as part of the church. And yet, if you read through the Bible, guess who God often picked to lead the charge? It was the most unexpected People who are not equipped at all. Story of Gideon in Judges chapter 6. He, he's like, God, I'm a farmer. You want me to do what? Moses goes, I, 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 I can't talk, God. You, I, I'm the wrong guy. King David was the youngest of all of his brothers. We could go over and over again. The disciples, the 12 disciples Jesus chose, fallible guys. You think about this for a moment and you realize God's not in the business of choosing the most capable people for the job. Why? Because then they're like, look at what I did. And instead, Paul recognizes, I'm gonna boast in my weaknesses because then the power of Christ is what drives me. We often see this attitude of we expect to have to be strong when someone asks us how we are on a Sunday. We talked about that a minute ago. We see it in being convinced that at a certain age, I'm useless. Wrong. No. If you have breath in your lungs, God still desires to use you for his glory. It's seen when I become convinced that my struggles hinder God from working through me. Here's something to keep in mind. The very core of the gospel, church, begins with a recognition that I cannot do this alone. Right? The very heart of salvation in Christ 
begins with the understanding that I am unable to do this of my own power. That's the start. And then you go, what now? Christ in me. It's only through the blood of Jesus. It's only by his power, his strength, that I can navigate day after day after day, whether I'm feeling good or not. The blood of Jesus. There is hope in Christ no matter how dark the valley is. And grabbing onto this, church family, strength in Christ begins with weakness. That's the heart of the gospel. It sounds different when you put it that way, doesn't it? When I am weak, then I am strong. Why? Because when I embrace and boast in my weakness, the only place I can look to for strength is in Christ alone. And when we intersect in the midst of this, and I so appreciate Paul sharing in the scope of his story, I think one of the most powerful statements you made is when we're walking, when we have someone, whether we are a person struggling with mental health or we're walking with someone, being present to walk the journey with people is the most impactful and powerful thing that we can do. And beginning with that understanding of if I really believe Jesus is the answer, it means you are not responsible to fix the problem. You are not the solution. And we have to recognize that in our own lives and then seek to walk with people as they walk that journey as well. So, when we think about Paul's words here in 2 Corinthians, and we think about Paul's story, personal journey, um, a lot has transpired that has led us as a church family to this place of a mental health coaching ministry. And we've talked about this for the last couple years. Stirred on by COVID in that season. We wanted to, in the midst of this, and understanding what our call is as a church, pause a minute and talk about the purpose of that and clarify something. Um, Number one, none of us, unless your profession delves into this, are adequately equipped to diagnose and treat mental illness. Okay? That's not our responsibility. God does not say in Scripture, you need to come and you need to do this. But what he does say is, you need to love your neighbor as yourself. You need to love one another as Christ has loved you. You need to walk with one another, stirring one another up to love and good works. Not forsaking a meet together as is the habit of some. Those are all the commands of Scripture. And so our longing and our desire as we prayerfully step towards that ministry goal is that we would be a community of people where those struggling with mental health and mental illness feel safe to struggle and encounter Christ. And so what we've done, we've compiled a referral list of professionals 
and we're seeking to communicate with them and say, here's what we're wanting to do. Are you willing to be on a referral list so that when we have someone that is struggling with some of these, we can help walk them through the process of getting connected with you. And then we're going we're gonna to be the community continuing to walk with them. Because the other piece of this, and you might be able to speak more to this too, is um, when someone in, steps into getting professional help, that's not a constant. It's scheduled, right? It's, it's not all the time. How do we fill in the in-between? Well, that community, walking alongside people. But there's also a lot of people that are just struggling with mental health crisis based in situations of their life. They just need people to walk alongside them. A church family walking alongside our brothers and sisters and those in our community has to happen outside of Sunday morning. It has to, because an hour and a half on Sunday morning is not enough. It's not enough. And we have to choose to walk alongside people, recognizing I may not feel equipped, but I'm going to boast in my weakness, right? Because when I recognize in my weakness Christ is strong, I engage into these issues with a confidence that he and he alone is the transformational agent in people's lives not me. So when we think about this, Paul, in the direction you see God using your struggles to minister to the church and beyond to those outside the church, if you could say anything to those sitting here today, those listening online who either struggle with mental illness themselves or have loved ones who do, what would it be? Um, I like to tell a story when I'm asked this question because I do get asked this quite a bit. But the story I have to do or have to tell talks about we're driving along and we get to railroad crossing. And in that railroad crossing, the lights aren't flashing, the gate's not down. How many people literally stop still and look both ways? And if I'm telling you, do you? If there's no flashing lights, no train ahead of you, no bar down, do you stop? You trust that the lights are going to work, the gate's going to be down if a train is coming through, right? You have that trust. You don't even think about it. It's second nature. It's the same way with God because if, if that one piece of that mechanical object fails, if a sensor goes out, if the lights don't kick on, if the gate doesn't come down and there is a train coming, you're going to die. No ifs, ands, or buts. But God is not mechanical. He will never fail you. He will be there alongside of you, and you won't die if you believe in him. You have eternal life through Jesus Christ. So we put our faith in these mechanical things. Why can't we put that same amount of faith in God that loves you? And that's the story that I tell. We have to keep in mind that what that person, and and this is really hard, That person, what they're feeling right now, and you're talking to them, you may be thinking or even say out loud, well, that doesn't make sense. Why would you feel that way? Our life is great. we got great jobs. We've got great kids. we got grandkids. Why are you feeling like that? That, that? That can't even be real. You'll be fine. It'll all be fine. You'll be fine. That is the worst thing that you can say. What, we want, what I want you to do as my brothers and sisters in Christ, even if you don't say a word, sit next to me and pray with me. 
even if you don't say a word. Maybe you don't even pray with me. Maybe you just sit there next to me and put your arm around me, just so I know that you're there. And if we are Christians, I know that is my brother or sister in Christ sitting next to me. It causes me to refocus where my mind needs to be. That's what I would say. And as you hear that, anyone who's listening to this, we choose each day whether we're going to follow after Christ in faith or we're going to root into our flesh. Following Jesus is always the right answer, but it's rarely ever easy. And if you decide in the midst of this, you hear this, I want to commit to walking in faith, committing my eyes to fix, be fixed on Jesus, know that that's not a, it's not a decision that just solves all your problems. But it begins a journey of transformation that starts with recognizing I cannot do this on my own and moves into a place of saying, not I, but Christ in me. And whether you are navigating the challenges of mental health or mental illness or you're just wrestling with life, we want you to experience the joy and peace and satisfaction that's found in Jesus. And it begins by choosing, am I going to follow him, take up my cross and follow him, or am I going to follow myself and the ways of the world, which I'm going to tell you are going to continue to fall short of what you're longing for. May we as the church embrace weakness and fix our eyes on Jesus and rest in his power and his, his authority and his strength for his glory. Amen? Amen. Two, two things. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and we're going to sing one last song here. Um, but two quick things. After the service here, Paul's going to be in the gathering place out these doors. Um, if you have questions for him, have further insight that you would like to glean, I know he'd love to talk with you. Um, and he's going to have his book available for any donation amount. So if you, want, if, you, if you have a dollar and you want, would like a copy of his book, you can talk to him about that. And uh, 50% of the proceeds that he sells are going to go back into the mental health coaching ministry that we're seeking to get launched, okay? Um, and we didn't want it, we, we absolutely don't want this to be a book sale event. That's not the intent of this, okay? Um, we more just want people to know that's available as a resource. Um, riddled with scripture content, that would be a great benefit for you to know how do I ask questions, good questions with the people that I'm walking alongside or I would like to walk alongside with, okay? The other piece of this is our original goal is to try and get our mental health coaching ministry off the ground by July. The Lord keeps kind of pushing that back. We're still really close, but the next thing that we're focused on that I want to invite you to join us in is getting our room space ready to go. We've got a room. It used to be the kindergarten room um, over near the offices. Um, We've got it cleared out, but now we're going to redo it. And so uh, we're looking at approximately about $3,000 to redo that room to just have a space to use that. And so if you feel the Lord leading you to give to a part of that, feel free to do that. You can designate it to that. Um, that would be something we'd encourage people above normal 
just to help get this ministry off the ground. This is not us uh, trying to guilt you into anything, okay? The scripture says the Lord loves a cheerful giver, and not done in compulsion, but willingly as the Lord leads. That is our stance on giving across the board, all right? Um, so we want to make that opportunity available to you so that you can partner with us as we seek to minister to a community that desperately needs the hope of Jesus. We want to be a community of people who is safe and walk with people, speaking the truth in love and grace, caring for the needs of our community for the glory of God. Okay? That's our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. May we live that out in all aspects of this. Okay? Would you stand with me? We're going to pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to have this discussion. I thank you for your word. Thank you for 2 Corinthians and the words of the Apostle Paul reminding us that your power is made perfect in our weakness. May we embrace that. May we walk in step with that for your glory. May we not elevate ourselves to a place above you, but recognize our need for you. Lord, that we would be stewards of what you have given us in Christ. Father, thank you for Paul's testimony, the story of hope in the midst of darkness. Lord, that's in many ways all of our story, that as Ephesians says, we at one time were walking in darkness in the passions of our flesh rooted into these things of the world and in Christ have been made alive together. May we walk in that. Father, may you use us to faithfully walk alongside those within our family right here and the community at large, that they would experience the love of Jesus through us and transformation in Christ. All this for your glory, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.